0: Hello and welcome to the Landing Theatre New Works Podcast, where in every episode we learn about a new play with the help of the world's leading expert in that play, the person who wrote it. Today we're talking with playwright and actress Amy Berryman about her play The New Galileos. This play has been sweeping the new play world for the past year or two. It was a finalist for the Playwrights Realm Fellowship in 2018, a finalist for the national playwrights conference at the o'neill center in 2019 and of course it was selected by the landing for our 2020 new american voices playwriting festival that's not the whole list of accolades by the way those are just some highlights if i gave you the whole list this intro would be way too long and reading the play it's easy to understand why it resonated with so many a lot of writers right now are understandably trying to cover the subject of climate change in their work And you would think writing about something that has such high stakes in the real world would translate easily into a really gripping play. But here's the thing. It's really hard to write a good play about climate change. There's so much complex information to convey. There's not any clear antagonist in climate change. You'll hear more about that from Amy in the interview. And of course, there's not an obvious resolution to be found because it's a problem we're still actively dealing with. But... Amy Berryman deftly manages all that in a way that feels effortless. I asked playwright and friend of the podcast, Elizabeth Keel, who was in The Landing's virtual reading of the play to weigh in on it, and she said, quote, As someone who reads a metric ton of plays, to see that every role was A, for a woman, B, for a grown-ass woman, and C, for incredibly intelligent, capable, and human women was like spotting a unicorn in the highlands. The New Galileo's tackles the enormity of the danger, and it wisely does so from different points of view regarding the ocean, the glaciers, the germs, the money, and even the children. Rather than resting on the laurels of a one-note coulda-shoulda-woulda fantasia, it leans in hard and asks that you consider now and immediately what exactly you were going to choose to do. Thanks for that, Elizabeth. I should just get her to write all these intros. And for all the acclaim it's gotten, you might think Amy's content with this script, but As you'll hear in the interview, she still very much considers it a work in progress because I think she really is committed to artistic greatness, but also because I think she's deeply committed to telling this story with complete fidelity to the science. I know there are a lot of playwrights out there who worry that being too bound to research can limit them creatively, but Amy's got some great thoughts in here about how doing the research can only enrich your work and bonus, maybe also enrich you as a person. Heads up, we will discuss some potential spoilers in broad strokes, so if you haven't read or seen the play yet and you want to do that beforehand, it's available for download on newplayexchange.org. I'm guessing if you're listening to a New Plays podcast, you already know about them, but in case you don't, check them out. New Play Exchange is probably the single greatest resource for New Plays currently in existence. Okay, enough from me. Let's hear from Amy. I feel like, and maybe this is just a perception that's easy to gain from afar. Uh, but I feel like you're you're kind of like having this moment that's like very productive and clear, and like you're you're generating a lot. Am I yeah. right about that at all?
1: Um, I actually kind of yes. Like, I mean, there's a part of my brain that's like. No, I could be doing more. Of course, I could always be doing yeah. more, but um, but I actually have been quite productive, even though it, it's there's so much like anxiety and stress around mm. like with the news and just life um and that I feel like can really hinder me from being productive. Um, but if I can kind of get a handle on that, push through often like the antidote for the anxiety is working and being creative. So it's just kind of pushing through the anxiety to get there (laughs) for me.
0: Yeah. I feel like that's so affirming because when quarantine started, I thought like, well, that's it for us for, I don't know, between two weeks and two years. (laughs) Yeah. um, And I've just, I should have known this before all that, but I've been reminded about sort of the resiliency of theater, the unkillability (laughs) of theater. And I guess that extends also to the play we're talking about today, The New Galileos, because that started out having a lot of different, you know, production and presentation ops that we would have thought would have just been done once, you know, lockdown started, but a lot of them managed to keep going in some other form.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It, yeah, it was supposed to be performed a production uh, at uh, it was supposed to have a production at Caltech Starring scientists, uh, which was going to be so cool. Um, (laughs) and I was most
0: well-researched actors ever.
1: Seriously. (laughs) And actually I got this amazing email from one of them when they were in the process of rehearsing it or like it was forwarded to me by the head of the program. There's this scene in the new Galileo's where they talk about, um, do penguins mate for life and, (laughs) And this email was like this very thought out like dissertation almost on is this true is like what I, Amy, the writer, wrote. It like it was like could it, like just had all these different um all the all this evidence behind it and by the end she concluded, Yes, you were correct. Like they um <laughs> they do, maybe for life. Uh, it was so, so cool. Um To think that like one of the actors also has all of that knowledge and that they go about their work in such a detailed, intense way, you know.
0: I I know you did intense research for this play because it shows in the writing, but that has to be a moment where you really question, did I do all my research right the moment before a bunch of scientists read the script?
1: Oh yeah. And I'm certainly like I felt very certain that particularly when they were working on it at Caltech, that they would find things to take issue with, or maybe there's things that weren't quite right. Um, But actually they were so helpful when, when the production obviously was canceled because of COVID and everything, but then they did a zoom reading of it and they had a couple other scientists on the call as well. And they had some really great suggestions for story um, that, had, you know, less to do with the science, but more about how I was presenting it, like how I was presenting geoengineering as, and they kind of took issue that I'm sidling it with um, authoritarianism. (laughs) So that was (laughs) super helpful for me to like make the issues in the play a little bit more complicated. And I still think it's probably needs a little more work to get there. But um, yeah, they actually had some cool ideas for story and not just like this fact is wrong so that was really helpful
0: can we back up for a second and talk to listeners (laughs) (laughs) if anyone hasn't seen it or read it can we talk a little bit about uh what the play is about and sort of how it uh how it's paced
1: yeah it is about three women scientists who find themselves in a cell together being held hostage by the government. It's set in sort of a not so distant future. Everything takes place in the cell and we also see flashbacks to the lives of these three scientists and each one of them interactions with a loved one in their lives. And throughout the piece they're learning like how much they can trust each other. They're uh, trying to figure out why they're there. Some of them feel that they know why they're there. And all of it leads to each one of them being called out of the cell and being taken into an interrogation room. And the same actor that plays all three of the loved ones in their lives also plays this interrogator role. So it's all kind of leading to the question of what's going to be the price of their freedom and what are they going to do with I don't know with yeah the choices that they make I kind of uh, wandered off there but um <laughs> but yeah as far as how it's paced um I don't know how is it paced it's like I guess it's very um it's pretty fast moving I would say I think it I hope it moves quickly and you know my hope for an an actual production that it would feel a little claustrophobic that it would feel scary and hopefully a little like discombobulating as you like change back and forth between the cell and flashbacks.
0: Yeah. Pleasantly discombobulating. I would say.
1: Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly.
0: (laughs) Which is one of the things I I really loved about it and locked onto early on because uh, I feel like I've seen a lot of TV and film and plays where we start to flashback to a moment in memory or something. And even when it's done really well, I have this inclination to sort of check out like, I'm a little disoriented. I'm like, oh, this is a new thing I have to invest in. I don't want to. I, I want to stay with this thing I was currently in. And uh-huh. there is such a, a fluidity to the transitions through time in the script to me that uh, I managed to feel like I was following a single thread of thought.
1: Thank uh, you. That's so cool. Thanks.
0: It was really cool. Just in case anyone has not made the connection with the title yet, uh, uh-huh. why would you call something with this premise the new galileos
1: yeah great question well one of the first things i thought about um when thinking about just our current political um climate of discrediting scientists and silencing scientists i mean at the time i was obviously talking about climate change and climate science and obviously now we're seeing this whole other level of disinformation about our current pandemic but mm-hmm. I thought a lot about Galileo and his um, discovery and his conviction that the earth revolves around the sun, which obviously, uh, at the time, the church in particular was pushing this, um, you know, the model that we are the ones at the center of the universe, <laughs> the earth is at the center of the universe. And Galileo, you know, had to testify for before the church, and he was made to recant his findings. So I was thinking about, you know, recanting your beliefs and what would that mean? And what did that mean for Galileo and how that must have felt? And I had done a reading of a play that was about his life and his daughter by my mentor, Jessica Dickey, called Galileo's Daughter. And um, so that was also something that Got me interested in him in the first place. Um, and I think then allowed me to kind of make that connection as I, once I wanted to write this piece about climate scientists.
0: And before this was a full length play, it had an original incarnation in a, a much more compact form. Can you talk about the first version yeah. of this?
1: Yes. Um, so I work with a theater company in New York called Amios, which does this. Used to do <laughs> uh, this monthly pressure cooker event called Shots, where you are writers are paired with a director and a handful of actors, and you're given a few weeks to write uh, based on a theme of the month and a couple conditions, like a line that has to be in the play and a certain prop or a time period. So, you know some conditions for these short plays, and then you write it, then you rehearse it for two weeks, and you put them up at the end of the month. And it's a full, you know, very low scale production, uh, on the Lower East Side at the Crane Theater. Um, but it's such a great community. And so I had a, um, I was going to write for this dystopian themed shots and I was given three amazing women, uh, actors and just was thinking a lot. Like, and also a lot of these plays for shots turn out to be like sketch comedy, or they turn out to be very, you know, off kilter, funny, um, or f- light. And I just was thinking a lot like that week <laughs> while we were rehearsing it and said, like Trump was pulling out of the cl- uh, Paris Climate Agreement. And I'd been thinking so much about science and climate change and reading about um, scientists, not uh, their grant proposals, not going through if they use the words climate change. And so I kind of just had this vision about these three women in a cell together and disappearing one by one. And so that was sort of the first incarnation of the New Galileo's was just this seven minute-ish play where it started with three and there's a small scene that actually was kind of funny and then a scene with just two and then ending just with Nora um, at the end. And it, um, we also made it into a short film, which now, now that short script and the film, because I know the – bigger story now, like they feel so, it feels too small now, or it feels too reductive, mm. or like I just have grown the world in such a way that it's funny to look back on it now. But it was a great way to um, kind of start the seed of the idea. And then it was chosen for their uh, Amiosa's program First Drafts to be developed over about nine months with three other writers working on their own shots, plays that are becoming full lengths. So it was a great... Um, really great way to grow a full draft of something with a group of people and, um, yeah, a lot of support, which was really nice. And it culminated in a reading downtown at the Cedar of the Clemente. And um, yeah, that was the first draft. And yeah, that's sort of the origin.
0: (laughs) Can you talk about how that first drafts program uh, informed the writing of it? Were there checkpoints for feedback along the way? Were there certain parameters mm-hmm. that helped shape the play, that kind of thing?
1: Yeah, well, you had to like present a proposal for what you wanted to do with the play. And I had this idea for a fourth character that would play a bunch of different roles. And I wanted to make her a woman because I feel like I see a lot of plays where it's a lot of women. And then if there's like a role that doubles a lot that you ends up being the most memorable role, <laughs> it's often played by a man. So that was sort of my vision for the play was that there's this interrogator who also plays these other roles and I wasn't quite sure why at the time. And now I think I know, but, um, it's still an element that I'm still exploring, but it was always there in my original vision for it. And then, I mean, one of the ways that the program helped was just by giving you deadlines. Like that's such a huge thing as a writer to be able to have a deadline just helps me push through and actually make something. So we had like a midpoint check-in where we read what was there so far, um, and then, you know, things were just like, I probably didn't finish it until like a week before the actual reading. But but yeah, it was like a lot of just, you know, check-ins once a month, that kind of thing.
0: This feels like something that would require a ton of research, an intimidating amount of research because such a, it's such a prescient topic that I feel like you have to imagine there are lots of people in the audience who are up to date on it um, and could call you out if you got something wrong. Um, can you talk about what the research process was like and what some important sources for the research were?
1: I think one of the things I'm thinking about these days, um, with the play is that even though I said it in the not so distant future, a lot of the science in the play is science of the current moment or like, so, so I wonder if it'll hold up. Like I know that scientists continue to discover new things every day, all the time. So I wanted one of the scientists to be a marine biologist. My cousin, who I'm super close with, is a marine biologist, and she studies octopuses um, and their death processes, which is a whole other play I want to write about. And she also works with sharks, baby sharks, (laughs) and uh, she just does such amazing research. And talking to her and just what she feels like she's going through as a scientist and feeling angry all the time at how the world is ignoring this huge problem in, um, you know, in global warming that um, all of that really has inspired a lot of my interest in it. And um, she was a great resource. There's a whole monologue in the play about sea stars and what's happening to them and her research with sea stars that is all taken directly from her. And I also watched a lot of documentaries and read a lot about geoengineering, about sort of all of scientists' ideas about carbon capture and different ways that um, we can use technology to combat climate change, but also how geoengineering really used to be like this sci-fi idea that people thought of as sort of taboo because... There's so much that could go wrong with it. And now it's at a point where it's like, well, what else are we going to do? Because we've so fucked it up. So, um, mostly I just did a lot of reading and a lot of, um, watching documentaries. And I just love learning about scientists. I read this book called Lab Girl, that I'd have to look up who the author is, but she's amazing. Just trying to get firsthand accounts of scientists in the way that they think. And particularly women scientists. Um. And I just find that scientists and artists are really kindred spirits in a lot of ways. I feel like we're both trying to seek beauty and truth in the world and doing that in different ways. But there's such a like curiosity in artists and in scientists. So I really mm. like kind of getting into their heads
0: when writing. When you said your cousin studied octopuses, I had a, a knowing gasp that I want to uh-huh. explain to the listeners just in case anyone hasn't read the play, because they talk about octopuses in the play because the uh-huh. protagonist is an Aquarist. Uh-huh. And yes, listener, it is octopuses, not octopi. Um, <laughs> yes, is
1: that something? is the scientific, the colloquial term among scientists is octopuses. So
0: <laughs> I feel like that is far and away the best kind of research is to have a person in your life who you're close enough to to like text whenever with oddly specific questions relating to Absolutely. your play. You've said in the past that you really like having writing plays where you have to do a lot of research and you don't really know a lot about it, about the topic. Why is that?
1: I think I like to do a lot of research. I like working. I like um, being obsessed with something. And I also think that when I don't know about a topic like geoengineering or Like, in another play of mine, Walden is also about climate change in a lot of ways, but it's also about, like, colonization, and it's about terraforming, and I think that in researching all these things, I feel like I discover more about myself, and, but yeah, I think, you know, I, I think I just like it, I think I also, it's something to do when you Mm -hmm. don't want to write, like, I think that so much of writing is just pushing through kind of like pushing through the anxiety, pushing through the like scariness of the blank page. And if you have something where you're like, okay, well, I can't figure out how to put words on a page, but I can research this thing about algae, or I can research this thing about ice. And then that will hopefully spark some kind of inspiration and help you push through and actually write. So
0: yeah, I wanted,
1: hadn't... windy answer, but I think that's why <laughs>
0: I hadn't thought about that, The the sort of workflow it creates where when you're out of like generative juices for a second, you can go look at the source and, and hopefully that can give you more material to work with. Mm-hmm. That's great. I feel like as I get older and more jaded and less inclined to learn about the world, uh, mm-hmm. the way that I can trick myself into uh, learning about something is to tell myself you're going to be writing a play about this so you have to pay attention
1: yes yeah that's such a great point i i also listen to a lot of podcasts i love podcasts i love science friday i love ologies and like some of like science friday can be pretty boring but like i love that about it and i and i <laughs> told totally you that i sometimes I can drift off or not want to, don't care, not care about that topic. And I kind of can bring myself back with, but what if this is something I could use for a play at some point? Um, and I also think that there's just so much metaphor in science and metaphor can sometimes be the seed of a play. So I, I just, yeah, I think science is sort of has a lot of infinite inspiration
0: for sure definitely can you talk a little bit about the process of drafting this play and if it was fairly straightforward or if there were some real stumbling blocks and what those were
1: yeah i think until i learned about geoengineering which was something that a friend of mine who worked on the film version with me kind of tipped me off to um that was kind of, cuz i think for a while i was couldn't figure out and this is kind of a problem with writing about climate change like what is the antagonist who is the evil it's us basically or it's <laughs> capitalism but trying to find like what are the forces within this play like we get that there's censorship we're fighting against censorship but what is really what what really is the government trying to do like I think that was a big uh, block for me for a while and then once I found geoengineering then I kind of wrote about it as almost like the bad guy and what the people at Caltech helped me realize is that it's a little bit more nuanced than that. And that it's a little more interesting to have a protagonist who is interested in what is the next step as far as using technology to save the planet. And I think there's still more to be uncovered there, like the draft that you read and that landing theater did is some of that is like in a way the first draft of like this new idea that Nora's into geoengineering because she used to be just didn't know much about it um in other versions of the play so yeah I think that just figuring out what the what the government is really trying to do was a big roadblock but all the like jumping in time and stuff all of that was always there from the beginning um and it's all stuff that I enjoy about the structure of the play so yeah
0: Anything that in your original vision really wasn't there or really wasn't a big part of it that sort of emerged as a big part of it?
1: Mm, listener also, I live in New York city and so sorry if you're hearing weird <laughs> outside, I think of, we already talked about this, but I keep hearing it and being like, Oh God, I'm ruining it. So I don't know if there's anything that I wasn't in my original vision and in some ways it's like i want to have another opportunity to workshop it so that i can allow for something that wasn't in my original vision to like pop out um i think in some ways the ending i um have some new ideas for and i think that yeah i just haven't um I haven't actually had a workshop like where, and who knows when we'll get to sit in a room together again, but where we sit in a room and read the play and work on it. And I go home and write new things and bring them in and like beyond the first draft, I haven't really gotten to do that. So it is really very much my original vision. And I think that there just might be opportunity for new ideas to come, especially in light of like a whole pandemic has happened that kind of needs to like, like the world of this dystopian future that I'm writing about that feels very close to right now in some ways but it kind of needs to be a big enough world to hold an event like a pandemic like so that we're not thinking like is the superbug that Beth is talking about which is part of the play that she's uh, trying to warn the government about a superbug that is has gotten out of the ground out of some per- melted permafrost. Like now it's like when I hear the play, it's like all I hear is pandemic and <laughs> and has this pandemic happened yet or not? And so, and also like because of the pandemic, you know, there's been a slow uh, slowdown in emissions. Like, so there's just a lot to kind of update in the play in some ways. Um So I hope to have an opportunity to do that at some point.
0: I don't want to gloss over what you just said because it was a a striking revelation to me that this play hasn't really had like a a, an in-depth workshop exactly which that's kind of remarkable because it's (laughs) so tight and so like cleanly written and and most plays only get there because they're forced to when a playwright is in a room with a bunch of people who are trying to connect each little piece of ligament from start to finish And the fact that it's like this without that process just speaks to what a sound idea it is and what a great writer you are. Thank
1: you. That's (laughs) so nice. Oh my God. Thank you. I I have had a couple like readings of it and things have been able to be kind of cut and trimmed and things like that. But even some of that, it's like, because it hasn't had that workshop, I don't know that I trust it. Like, and that's why it it feels at a place where I, the next step for me would either be like, okay, somebody wants to take a leap and do a production of it. And we would do a lot of rewrites in that process whenever that is possible again, or, um, yeah, a, a workshop of it where I could really examine some of the cuts I've been encouraged to make in the past. And I haven't really wanted to because like the science of it all feels very important to me and, I think for some people they don't connect with that element of the play as much, but it's like, well, that is the sort of nature of this play. Like it, but how to make that, um, you know, how to make all that work. So but anyway, thank you for that compliment.
0: <laughs> Are there any moments in the script when you think about it now that you feel like particularly proud of, or that have sort of fed you in, in, you know, re- your memory thinking back on the play?
1: yeah, I really like the scene in the aquarium with Sarah and Nora is probably my favorite scene. Um and it feels almost like a different play <laughs> in some ways. But I really like their attraction and um shyness and also like Nora's willingness to talk about her work uh, and kind of be proud of it in that moment. And um yeah, I, I really like that scene. I also do like the monologues about ice and the monologues about sea stars i just those were really fun
0: to write for me oh yeah that was a moment the monologue about ice uh, bertha Mm -hmm. explaining uh ice Mm -hmm. uh, to Mm -hmm. elaine was a moment where i felt like i i you know imaginary journeyed uh to the antarctic and it was just very sensory uh stimulating i also feel like the beginning it's been a long time since a play just sort of like grabbed me by the lapels like that with that, that beginning and and just felt like so immediately able to connect with and universal and talking about something that is very timely, but in a way that feels so timeless. And
1: I'm so glad. I'm, I'm really glad that you felt that way about the beginning. I think it definitely does like just throw you into it and yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad. Thanks.
0: I'm wondering why, of all the people who could have said that opening, oh, mm-hmm. Helen was the one you went with.
1: I don't know. I still don't know. Honestly, like mm-hmm. I guess there's a part of me that like that very opening monologue from Helen. It's always just been. It's one of the first things I wrote in the play, and I think it's just something that I think I've had Beth be the one who says it before. It, it feels like sort of a neutral time suspension before the play begins. Like it feels like a prologue in some way. And I don't know, you know, like I said, hasn't had a workshop, hasn't had production or anything. And I think that there is a world in which who says that monologue could change. Um, But the reason I have it as her right now is because it's sort of setting up who is this mysterious fourth person that we know is going to exist, but we don't know in the, within the play, but we don't know how, because then we just live with these three scientists for a while. So I sort of think of her in that moment almost as like a neutral force mm-hmm. or something. But, so I don't know is the answer.
0: <laughs> so you sent the script out on the, you know, the, the circuit of new play development and presentation opportunities that mm-hmm. come around yearly and it placed in a lot of them and won some of them. And in a world without COVID, this would be being presented at Mm -hmm. physical venues around the country right now because it's been presented virtually in a lot of places even though it hasn't gotten to have that premiere yet a lot of people have been acquainted with it and you've gotten to hear various responses from different corners of the world um Mm -hmm. and of the different responses you've gotten to the play so far are there any that are really sticking with you as ones that feel either instructive or just feel good to hear
1: um I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I feel so grateful whenever someone does connect with the play and inquires about it or, um, you know, wants to do a virtual reading of it. Um, I actually think it is an interesting play for, like, the Zoom world because it's about isolation. And I think some plays work well on Zoom and some don't. And I feel like this one could be presented in a really cool way zoom way you know i i am trying to think if i have any i mean just i mean my cousin's response to it was really meaningful because i really wanted her to like it and um and she did you know she had some notes and some thoughts but um just i think her love for it um means a lot to me like in some ways you know you write plays for yourself or for a theater company or whatever, but this was definitely a play that I kept her in mind while writing. So that was special.
0: Which I think is a great thing for any playwright to do, to have specific people who are sort of targeting their words towards. And it's like, if it -hmm. it lands with this person, it's a success. Mm -hmm. One of my last questions was going to be, do you feel like you're done with this? But I feel like I very clearly heard at different points along the way. No, not quite. Which, first of all, impressive insofar as I think a lot of playwrights, if they had gotten to a script that was not only this solid, but this, like, well-received and well, like, you know, acclaimed by by different theater, you know, organizations, they might feel like, well, I'm putting this one away for a while, but it seems like you're not doing that. It seems like there's more to do. Do you, Mm -hmm. when you look at the future of this play, do you feel like there's a lot left to do? Do you feel like it's a, a little...
1: Yeah, I don't know. I I think that a lot could be found in just doing a production. Um, of course, every play, right, is like, just do my play. You know, don't mm. keep it in this world of workshopping constantly. But um, I would obviously appreciate getting to work on it in a workshop. And um, I don't know how much is left to do. I just feel like there might be a lot to learn about the pace and the storytelling. And I think it's all about, like, what is the story. I'm trying to tell here and getting specific about um, like Helen, the interrogator. I want her to be as well-rounded of a character as possible. And we don't get to spend a ton of time with her, but I want her to be the kind of villain that we understand. And in my opinion, are kind of seeing a lot of right now in our government Um, women like Betsy DeVos um, women that really like support the patriarchy because it, is supporting them. Um, So I just think there's a lot to be um, still uncovered. And, um, you know, I, I am happy with where it's at as far as just a sample to submit and um, hopefully get the attention and interest from theaters. But um, I do feel like there is still a little more to work on. So.
0: I have this weird, miscellaneous fun question that may go nowhere (laughs) i'm trying to imagine if galileo was acquainted with this play uh what his reaction would be (gasps) and my guess is first just a whole lot of like outrage and bewilderment and they're still doing it they're still getting this wrong but then also parenthetically he'd be like but it's a nice play it's well written and i appreciate the shout out um
1: gosh that would be great if that was his reaction i don't know I do feel like, yeah, it might be appalling. I feel like he'd be interested in the science that's in the play. And I think he would probably, yeah, be either appalled or maybe he actually wouldn't be surprised that this is still happening. But yeah, good question. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Never thought about it, but he's pretty amazing.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Galileo. Galileo.
1: Thanks, Galileo. (laughs)
0: To find more of Amy's work, you can follow her on Twitter at Amy R. Berryman or check out her website or her profile on New Play Exchange, both of which I'll include in the little blurb below the podcast link. Music for today's episode was composed by Juan Sebastian Cruz. The Landing Theatre New Works podcast is a production of The Landing Theatre Company with artistic director David Rainey. To find out more about our work or make a donation, visit landingtheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E. Thanks for listening. See you next time.